0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of MTG Fast Finance, your source of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation information. I'm your host, James Chilcott, MTG critic on the interwebs. This is my co-host, Travis Allen, otherwise known as Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hey guys, welcome to our second show. Glad to be here and looking forward to the discussion we're going to have today. This show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. This week, we've got four segments. Our first segment is the top movers, where we'll talk to you about what's gained and lost most this week. Then we're going to look at cards that James and I like to look at for profit in the future. Then we're going to talk about the latest tournament results. That would be Star City Atlanta this week. And after that, we'll talk about our hot topic for the week. Is magic too expensive? All right, we're going to go ahead and start up with our top movers, segment one. Uh, James, what is the first card on our list this week?
0: Our first card of the week is Ghost Quarter um, from a variety of different recent printings. um, An uncommon land that uh, is being bought up in a frenzy because people are assuming they're going to need it to try to hate out the Tron and Eldrazi decks, um, targeting uh, Urza lands and Eye of Ugin and Tomb of Yogmouth to try to slow those decks down. Um, This is a card that was as low as 25 cents a couple weeks ago and uh, has more than quadrupled up since it started its run.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. There's a lot of copies out there that are uh, in promotional sets. You know, the commander sets are not terribly wide distribution and dissension is ancient. So I guess really it's just Innistrad is a major source of cards here for Ghost Quarter.
0: Yeah, and that's almost five years ago now. So um, a lot of the there's probably millions of copies available if people would just pull them out from under their bed. But until that happens, it uh, uh, looks like this the spike will sustain.
1: Yep, I'm in complete agreement. Uh, next up on our list is Seedborn Muse. This crosses Legions, 9th edition and 10th edition. Started this week around $13, and we're looking at a price over $25 for about a double up again. This comes on the heels of Profit of Crufix being banned in EDH. Uh, you know, Seedborn Muse is already played in that format. Profit of Crufix was the second Seedborn Muse. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of people had Profit and not Seedborn. People who are newer to the game, Profit gets banned, and suddenly everybody has to go back to using Seedborn. This also may have provided the opportunity for a lot of players who were using Profit and didn't even know about Seedborn uh, to become aware of it. You know, this sort of like let them know that that other card existed. So this is in reaction to that Commander ban announcement.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Profit of Crofix was part of a, um, a Clash Pack set. Uh, printed as a uh, as a reprint less than a couple years after it had been originally printed. So there was lots of copies of that running around, but Seedborn was last printed in 10th edition, which was almost a decade ago. So um, not surprising that if as people start trying to chase down uh, a rare that, that's, that is that old, we're going to see some kind of a spike go on. Um, yeah. Now, several people I've talked to in the EDH Commander community have have mentioned that <laughs> Seedborn is that not actually the greatest replacement for profit, Um Probably a good idea to take your profit and run on this card, um, given that it was really the ability to play creatures at instant speed that made profit as compelling as it was. Um, you know, Seedborn Muse is certainly going to see continue to see play in EDH and Commander, um, but I'm I'm definitely looking to exit on my copies with this uh, fantastic double up on the books.
1: Uh, I agree, Seedborn was extremely powerful, but it was no profit. All right, James, uh, what's next after Seedborn Muse?
0: So our next card is Flagstones of Trocare, um, a, a land that has only been printed in Time Spiral, um, which was over a decade ago. Um, there's some speculation of this being used in coordination with Boom Bust and Do- Goblin Dark Dwellers in Modern, and there was a couple of other decks floating around that were using it. So it's just another case of a, a out-of-print rare that uh, is doubling up. Um, on, the, on low supply um, and an easy cleanup uh, by people that uh, checked out the supply levels on TCG Player.
1: Yeah, anything that sees any modicum of play in this era of cards is ripe for getting bought out. There's just so many various cards that show up and so few copies floating around that it's not hard to affect major price movement on a card this old.
0: Uh, which is exactly the case on our next card, Travis.
1: Yeah, that'd be Palincron. Uh This is from Urza's Legacy, and this is a reserve list card, which I'm not even sure we had on our list this week. It's the only one on our list this week. Uh, I'm kind of surprised by that, but the, how few reserve list cards we've had. Palancron, for those unfamiliar, is a card that uh, costs seven and untaps seven lands when it le- when you bounce it to your hand. Uh no. I get that backwards, it costs seven, and it untaps seven lands when it comes into play. So if you have any lands that generate more than one mana, it generates infinite mana. Uh, so this is a long-time EDH staple, extremely powerful with any land that makes more than one mana. Uh, it's always been very powerful in that format, single-card infinite mana. And, you know, this has just been dwindling for a long time, and finally the market cracked. This happens in with EDH staples all the time. Uh, supply dwindles and dwindles and dwindles and then finally the card goes uh foils of this i also like they've been about 50 60 bucks for a while now which is definitely uh very cheap for a commander staple reserve list card Uh, so i keep an eye out for those too
0: makes sense so our next card is boom bust from planar chaos um, as i was saying it uh, has uh, a long-known combo with flagstones of tricare which people can now leverage to a greater degree with potentially with goblin dark dwellers um, and uh, there's been some decks on streams lately that have been featuring it as well um, this is a card that's gone from $2.50 to 7 in the last week for up almost $5 for a, a increase of almost 180% um, and uh, you know these these split cards are not uh, likely or easy um, to reprint in just any old product, so um, it's it's a potential target for Modern Masters 2017. But I would say that there's a uh, pretty decent likelihood of some growth uh, moving on with the, this card throughout the rest of the year. Travis, I could see it probably topping ten dollars before all is said and done. Wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, easily, easily ten dollars. And uh, with the return with Goblin Dark Dweller showing up, the The sort of spiritual return of Goblin of bloodbraid elf this could definitely see prices over 10 too so i'm not actually in a rush to sell here Uh, i also have a soft spot for boom bust i played boom bust zoo at my first modern ptq which was i don't know months after the format was announced and i hit like 10th place so i'll always carry a torch for boom
0: bust um so, in, in in case the listeners aren't clear, Boom Bus is a split card. Um, on the left side of the split, we've got Boom for one and a red that destroys target land you control and target land you don't control. Um, if you blow up your flagstones of Trocare in that manner, you've taken out your opponent's land while staying net zero on lands yourself. And then later you can you can cast Goblin Dark Dwellers um, on the to play the bus side for free because the card qualifies. Uh, as a split card, the the side of the card that costs two qualifies for the three and under rule on Dark Dwellers, but you can, in fact, cast the bus side, which costs six, and destroy all the lands.
1: And don't forget about on the uh, boom side, the destroy land you control and you don't control. Not only can you use that with flagstones, you can target your own fetch, and then in response, crack your fetch, so you don't actually end up losing a land, but you still get to nuke theirs. That was yeah. the other...
0: Yep, that's a, that. that's also a very sexy trick so tell us about the next card Travis
1: uh, that would be treasure hunt uh, specifically from the magic player rewards set uh, it's a full art uh, card there's no text on it this has gone from a little over a dollar to uh, 650 uh, for over 400 percent gain this week this is uh, once again uh, a card with very low supply uh, it was part of uh, I mean I don't want to call it a buyout just a very low supply on a promo that's basically never going to be reprinted and has been part of a budget zombie build in modern uh, uses it to, to treasure hunt to create effect so uh, no big surprise here uh, to see something like this move especially if it's part of a combo piece of some budget list those card type of cards always have a tendency to, to move from zero action to sudden action uh, you know, I'd be happy to sell these right now. I'm not interested in hanging around The Chances are that that deck matters are very low and I could easily see this returning the two fifty or $3. So, you know, if you can get anywhere close to six bucks, I'd be shipping these.
0: Yeah, I'd ha- I'd have to agree with that. I've been pulling those pro magic player rewards, full arts, um, out of the bulk in the super collection for a while. And, uh, in general, I'm happy to get whatever the market rate is for these and keep moving.
1: Yep. What's what's our top card this week, James?
0: So our final card is Battlescreech, a card from Judgment, also out of print for quite a long time, um, which explains why on low supply it jumped from $0.50 to $3, um, apparently uh, on speculative demand from the pauper community.
1: Uh, I, I can see that. It's, I guess, a powerful card in that format. I don't pay too much attention to it. Uh, not much to say here, I guess. Dig them out of your Judgment Block box. Sell them Mobulous, maybe. Uh, you know, a card like this, huge percentage gain. Overall value increase is minimal. So, you know, if you've got any, sell them. But nothing too exciting
0: here. Yeah, I mean, there's only a few handfuls of sets left on TCG Player, so um, likely to uh, hold somewhere near that price point as we move forward. And you know, throw it into your trade binder and see if you can get a popper player to bite at your local LGS.
1: Yeah, if you've got a popper community, go for it. Uh, all right, James, so that's our biggest gainers for the week. Uh, looks like basically a handful of Modern, EDH, and uh, some Popper tossed in. Uh, so how about on the other side of this, what has lost the most value this week? What's our, our first card on the list?
0: Well, I feel a little vindicated to see Mindslicer, our top gainer from last week, sliding back off of its te- uh, spike to $10 back towards seven fifty. Um, losing 25%. I mean, that's uh, a fairly typical post-spike contraction. Um, but also, you know, re- reflects some of the frustration that is felt in the Magic community when cards spike that hard. They never seem to really get back to where they started. Um, and it uh, looks like the door is still open to make a little money on these if you've got them lying around. Um, so feel free to uh, track down a sell a, a buyer of mine slicers and uh, move on with your life.
1: Yeah, no surprise here card will end up more than it was originally, but it is not a $10 card. Our next card uh, is Linvala the Preserver from Ulf of the Gatewatch, the new Linvala. Uh, started the week around $6.50. It's now $4.50. Lost 2 bucks. Uh, it just hasn't really found any traction yet. I know, I think it was Jerry was running a copy at Atlanta this past weekend, but he was not too hot on it, uh, said it wasn't as great as he'd hoped it to be. I think it was Jerry. Uh, And it's just, you know, it came out at the pre-release price and it didn't immediately land in standard and like everything else, it doesn't land in standard immediately after a new set. The price is going to start to take a beating.
0: Yeah. And I mean, one of the things to note here is that as an angel with a fairly sexy effect, there are, uh, there is definitely a niche in the magic community of people that collect angel cards. So if this, this is a mythic and if it gets low enough, the foils may be very compelling under $10 as a future 20 or $30 angel foil. Um, it's also possible that you know the the metagame warps later this year, and suddenly Linvala is a four of. If you had a really aggro format, and we gained some acceleration, um, so that this was more of a four or a five drop instead of a six drop, um, and and in the face of that aggro environment, um, you would still have the you know window of opportunity to cast her. Then the, you know there's a chance for their, for her as a mythic um, to, especially from a small set mythic, given that. You know, oath only gets about six weeks of attention before we switch gears and get into the the uh, preview season for Shadows over Inestrad. Um, so I'm, I'll keep my eye on Linvala, but you know, at, at at current pricing, I would not be afraid to to trade out um, into something that has more potential for gain. If you've just got a couple of copies, you know, feel free to sit on those and see if they find a window of opportunity sometime in the next eighteen months. So our biggest dropper of the week is actually Raging Ravine at a Worldwake um, uh, in the uh, post ban world, uh, leading into uh, a modern format without Splinter Twin or Amulet Bloom. Uh, Raging Ravine was assumed as you know a, an often run three of jund to potentially have a new role to play. Um, there was a post-banning spike up into the $25 range, but it has since slid down to about $15. Worth noting that uh, that $15 price point is only on about you know 20 or 30 copies spread out across the internet. So we could see this card hit 25 again, especially if Jun gets some good camera time this weekend at the uh, Modern Pro Tour. Certainly a card to keep your eye on yeah
1: i agree 15 dollars, maybe it's priced right now but uh you know depending on how modern shakes out we could see this hit 25 again with how few copies are out there available
0: all right let's move on to our cards to watch of the week these are the cards that travis and i have put aside as potential speculation targets or cards that you might want to get in on early in case you need them for decks down the road um
1: why don't you go ahead and start james
0: Sure. So my first pick of the week is a mid- to long-term spec, meaning that uh, you're going to need 6 months uh, to 12 months plus before you're going to see any returns, in my estimation. And this would be the uh, yet another rare that's undervalued in the Origins set from last summer. Harbinger of the Tides, uh, specifically the foils of that card, um, are definitely on my radar as uh, undervalued foil rares um, with long legs and modern. Um, They're currently... Uh, priced at $6.50, I, my target is $15 within the next couple of years um, for about 130% gain plus. My logic is that um, Merfolk finished both 2nd, 3rd, and 12th at the SEG, Modest, uh, sorry, SEG Modern Classic last weekend. And, you know, Merfolk, this isn't the first time that Merfolk has put up a good result in uh, a uh, major modern tournament in the last year. Harbinger is almost always a four of in that deck. And uh, it's in a set that is currently um, price repressed in the rares department by Jace Friend's Prodigy, most expensive mythic and standard. Um, but you know, that's not going to last once people, people stop opening origins, the price of all of the good cards in that set will start to rise. And I suspect that this set like Innistrad or, um, future Sight before it will yield some long-term gains on, on the rares that are currently undervalued.
1: I really like foil Harbinger. The ties this is a great, a great pick. And I'm kind of tempted to pick up some of them myself, although that seems, uh, a little, a little shifty buying the cards that we're recommending but i I do really like the foil harbinger choice
0: there is the perspective that uh us buying cards that we recommend is uh us trying to move the market but on the flip side it could be us showing confidence in the picks um on that note i definitely for uh have picked up multiple copies of the card and intend to do so uh again um so take that for what you will folks all right
1: all right. Well, my first pick of the week is Foil Delver of Secrets. This is looking to be a short or midterm pickup. Uh, it's originally from Innistrad, actually, still only from Innistrad. Currently sitting around twelve bucks right now. I think is a low on TCG, just about there. I can easily see this at twenty five dollars and possibly quite a bit more. Uh, there's no there's no uh, hesitation here that this could double up. This card has always felt too cheap in foil. And I think part of the reason why that has been is that it hasn't had much of a modern presence. And the reason it hasn't had much of a modern presence is that we've been missing both Ponder and Preordain, which are huge enablers and Brainstorm for that matter. Uh, And also because the blue creature decks of choice tend to be, have been twin. Uh, Well, twin's gone. And the very first weekend out, the modern event, uh, the same one where Merfolk showed up at second, well, first place was or Delver. Uh, if Then this deck was meaningful in the past as well. So if Delver becomes an actual modern mainstay, we're going to see foils move pretty dramatically here. And six months from now, $25 may have sounded comically low.
0: I mean, this is a card that has, has an interesting history and an ebb and flow to it. It um, was you know, not a big deal when it was first released. And then in the presence of, uh, treasure cruise and dig through time in the fall, uh, and early winter of 2014, 2015, before those cards were banned in modern, um, I was at the legacy open in GP, New Jersey. Uh, sorry, I was at GP, New Jersey. Let me start that again. This is a card with a, an interesting history too, some ebb and flow, uh, in its price chart. um, You know, it wasn't a big deal when it was first released. And then in the fall of 2014, leading into the winter of 2015, uh, after the release of Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, we have the ascendancy of the, you know, blue, red Delver decks in both modern and legacy. I was at, uh, I remember, uh, GP New Jersey and and Delver was everywhere. Um, Everybody was picking up Delver foils. Um, I jumped in a little late and ended up uh, stuck with them, um, getting greedy on their price point. And once uh, Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time were banned in those formats, Delver fell back to being, you know, an, uh, an unneeded card. And a lot of the foil copies ended up getting, you know, picked up by dealers um, for, you know, a pittance. And now we're back in a situation where, you know, maybe it's time for Delver to ascend again. It's, a, it's a, one of the most powerful creatures in both modern and legacy, if it has the right tools um, alongside it. And you know, even if it it doesn't end up being ascended in this version of the modern format, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see some gains. You know, minimum, you know, minimum of fifteen or twenty dollar price point uh, on the card in the next couple of years.
1: hmm Yeah, no doubt. You got another one for us, James?
0: Yeah. So my other pick is uh, also uh, a tribal uh, rare creature from Origins. This time we're talking about Goblin Pile Driver. Uh, specifically in foils. I see this as a, a great long-term hold. Um, they're sitting at about $5 right now, um, but the original foils are well over $30. Um, that's from Onslaught, um, the original printing. And Goblins is a deck that won the Legacy Classic at SCG Atlanta this past weekend, and you know has an excellent chance with the constant printings of new Goblins to eventually uh, create a winning deck in modern. Um, if that deck appears, Goblin Piledriver, uh, you know, a 1-2 pro-blue creature for 1 and a red that gets plus 2, plus 0 for every other goblin attacking, um, is an absolute beating. Anybody who played in the original era of this card knows that it is the enemy of blue decks everywhere. And uh, even though it falls easily to both Path to Exile and Lightning Bolt, um, I can definitely see uh, a future for it uh, as a spec that can possibly do well in Modern, is already doing well in Legacy, Um, as a four of and definitely has kitchen table and casual appeal as well for anybody that's in love with the goblin tribe
1: even the non-foil copies here seem solid i think they're like a dollar 50 which is just criminal compared to what this card used to cost before origins was reprinted was printed so uh goblin pile driver another another tribal hit this week i see uh, my second pick for the week is uh, Foil Kozilek The Great Distortion from Oath of the Gatewatch. And this is a long-term strategy. In fact, this isn't even a card I'm telling you to buy right now. You know, it just released. Uh, prices look to be in the sixty-dollar range. I'm putting this on your radar because I can guarantee you that this card's price is going to drop, and it's going to drop and drop. Probably take about two months. And then you'll think to yourself, I should pick up a foil copy of that for whatever reason. And then one day you'll hop online and it will be twice as much. It happened with Ulmog and it happened with all of the other foil Eldrazi too. It happens frequently with all sorts of cards. Uh, some of these casual-ish mythics uh, kind of hang out at a foil price. You're not crazy about buying in at, And then suddenly it's twice as much and you get priced out. So, keep an eye out for this. I would expect in about two months we'll see prices between $30 and $40. And uh, we could easily see this in the $80 plus range. Remember that even though Ulamog was essentially the most, I don't want to say the most playable, he was the most castable. Eldrazi from the last uh, grouping of them we saw, he was the cheapest. And Kozalek was actually very expensive, especially foils. Uh, he was much more popular with a casual crowd. Even though you know, he was seen play in no competitive formats, but Kozilek was one of the most expensive ones. I don't think that's going to be any different here. Uh, he's just more interesting. And unless you're trying, you know, we're going to see more Ulamog in modern and in um, competitive decks. Uh, but we're going to see more Kozilek in more decks, and especially EDH decks. Exiling two permanents is solid, but drawing seven cards and being able to counter cards with the other stuff in your hand is going to be real good. So foil Kozileks, don't buy yet. Keep an eye out for them, but don't hesitate to make purchases when this is sort of bond- bottomed out in a month or two.
0: Yeah, I like this pick, Travis. I mean, the the reality is that in the early um, deck list for standard and modern, um, the the Eldrazi-focused decks are not running more than a single copy of Kozilek. Um, and that leads me to believe that you're right in assuming that the price will drop um on the non-foil version which should drag the foil version back down the chain um and you know i think it's a great idea to be looking for an entry point on these because a couple of years down the road uh, i can easily see a double up if they get down to as low as 30 or 40 um there just won't be that many of a foil mythic around and a lot of them are going to get swallowed into collections never to. uh See the light of day again, at which point dealers will be having to increase their buy list to get their hands on any copies.
1: Yeah, all right, James, you got one more for us this week.
0: So my final pick of the week is another mid to long term spec. Um, this one is uh, "Painful Truths" from Battle of Zendikar. Um, the foils are currently sitting at uh, about ten or eleven dollars. I would see this being a, a twenty dollar card a couple of years down the road um, for an easy double up. Um this is a card that's seeing extensive play in standard, in modern, in legacy, um in a whole bunch of different decks, in Junk and Jund in in modern already, and in Grixis Delver in Legacy. It's amazing to me that this this rare um black card drawing effect um for three mana has made it all the way back to legacy, but people apparently we have underestimated the um, power uh, of drawing cards in exchange for life even um, when it's not a, an enchantment based effect like Necropotence uh, apparently the flexibility of being able to draw between 1 and 3 cards depending on um, how you want to structure the the payment for the card is it, just too good to ignore
1: yeah, uh, you know, I liked it in my set review, I'm not surprised to see it doing well now uh, so just not surprising, I like it, I like it a lot uh, what are you selling right now?
0: Well, I mean, I definitely think that given how foreshortened the rotation schedule for Standard is now, h- having moved from a 24-month cycle to an 18-month cycle, and seeing what has happened to cards like Siege Rhino and Wingmate Rock that were in high demand a little earlier in the season and how early they started to fall, um, I think getting out of uh, Den Denver- Protect uh, um, at its current value of $10 and probably Death Miss Raptor, who... Uh, is at a similar price point um, in the early teens. Um, would be a very good idea if you've got copies that you're not playing with. These are not cards that are going to have strong casual demand after the fact. They're not future modern cards. Um, they are four ofs in a couple of key decks in standard, but they're going to rotate in the fall. And if you're not playing with them, I don't think uh, you're going to get a better chance to get out. Um, these are cards that are probably going to drop as much as 70 or 80%. They'll probably be 2 or $3 cards come the fall. Um, so... Definitely an exit you want to be making if you've got the chance now.
1: I'm going to go the other way here. Uh, You're talking about a card that's getting ready to rotate. I'm going to talk about a card that just showed up. World Breaker is over $13 right now, which is pretty crazy. Don't get me wrong, the card is very real. Uh, I was lukewarm on it at first when I realized you were paying two extra mana on top of Acidic Slime to get a lot of extra creature. Uh, I really liked it, but... At $13, this is has a lot of room to fall and very little room to grow. I'd be happy to take my profits here and get out. You know, Could this stay at $13? Could it even hit $20? Sure, anything's possible. But it's much more likely we see this fall back into normal range, which I would say is probably between $4 and $7, maybe mm-hmm. even $8. So I would trade or sell these now, get the maximum value, and if it goes up, don't feel bad about it, because it's much more likely to, to lose value than game.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was a mythic that was featured on camera several times at Star City Games this weekend in the Standard Open. Um, but the the version of the deck, the green Eldrazi deck that finished second, um, actually only ran one copy in the sideboard. It was a deck further down the chain that was running uh, three or four copies in the main. Um, if, if that deck, the version of the deck, um, continues to do well that runs the copies in the main then you know this is a Mythic that can probably hold its current price point. But I'd be surprised to see it climb much higher, um, given the other Mythics in the set and how likely they are to be four-ofs as well.
1: Yeah, okay. Those are all the cards that James and I were looking to pick up this week, and also the two that we're looking to sell. We're going to move on to our third section of the week. That's the Metagame Week in Review. This week we're looking at Star City Atlanta, which was the first major standard event since Oath the Gatewatch was street legal. Uh, what caught your eye?
0: So there was a couple of decks in the top eight that looked pretty exciting, Travis. We had uh, a Tarka Red, no big surprise here. We have a red deck winning the tournament in standard. Um, the week after uh, a new set is introduced, when everybody's fooling around, dirtling with their new fancy uh, combos, we see the aggressive red deck jump in out of nowhere and take everybody down. Um, probably the biggest innovation in that version of the deck was its desire to go uh, really wide. Um, We had Reckless Bushwhacker as a three of. Um, This is the Surge Goblin that only costs two if you've cast another spell the turn that you play him. And when he comes into play, he gives all your creatures haste and plus one, plus zero, including himself. So um, my question is whether this card could potentially have a future in modern. Um, Foils are currently around $3.00. Um, you know, we don't have a a really good tier one, tier two goblins deck in modern right now, but if we do maybe pile driver and bushwhacker end up being a part of it. So it's a card I've got my eye on.
1: Well, you know, we have an effect so similar to that in modern right now from the first time we were in Zendikar. It's the, uh, goblin bushwhacker, I think, right? One in a red does base it's like a, a red and then a kicker red does pretty much the same thing
0: yeah and it and it was a card that won many tournaments so th- this is the kind of effect that red decks that go wide love and uh definitely a reason to pay attention to the card i mean it's only it's only an uncommon um but the foils could still have some traction
1: yeah, I will go ahead and say that uh, I definitely like this card in standard. I am a lot less excited about it than James is in modern. Uh, with Goblin Bushwhacker hanging around that format, I don't see any reason why Reckless Bushwhacker should be any better. Uh, you know, what I noticed was uh, uh, Chris Bricky's second place mono green Aldrazi deck. Uh, first thing I love was the four Bane of Balagad, in his list that was that that was excellent i don't think anyone watching that stream had any idea why he was running for bane of ball again uh, including patrick sullivan <laughs> but the other part of that deck that i liked uh was for ulamogs uh, there's no surprise here to me ulamog is quickly cementing his role as the de facto go-to reason to play eldrazian standard right now uh like I said, Kozilek has a ton of casual appeal, but Ulamog is what you cast when you want to win competitive games. And even though Ulamog close to $30 right now, I would not be surprised to see these at 40 or $50 in standard. I'm not telling you to go out and buy them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of room for the metagame to kind of keep that in check, but I'm just bringing it to your attention that this is far from the last we've seen of Ulamog, and uh, there could be some price growth on this guy over the next few months.
0: Well, I mean, Ulumang was my pick from last week um, when he was at $25, that he could make it to $40. Um, seeing him as a four-of in a second-place deck in the biggest standard tournament that opens the season certainly seems to reinforce my thesis there. Um, and it was also interesting that there was only one Kozlik main um, and only one Worldbreaker in on the side of that deck. The other thing that I thought was interesting in the third-place deck, piloted by Jerry Thompson with his take on Jeskai Black, was that he was running Chandra Flamecaller, which got some decent camera time and actually did a did a pretty good job of closing out the games where she appeared. Um, You know, I'm not going to get excited about that card until I see a deck that's running at least three or four of them, but um, you know, it's, it's not a joke. Um, This Chandra is not a a card that can be written off. She may only be, you know, a single or, or double copy uh, uh, top end curve kind of card, but she's already doing work on camera. She put a deck in, she was part of the team that put a deck into the top three. And uh, certainly a card to keep your eye on in case somebody figures out how to get you know four of her in a deck and make a run. So, Travis, tell me what you think about this uh, sixth place deck, um, the blue red prowess deck, running uh, the, with the debut of four Storm Chaser Mage.
1: Uh, yeah, Storm Chaser Mage showed up there. Uh, blue Red Prowess seemed pretty popular. I think early on in the weekend we saw a lot of pros or pro esque players playing this deck. Um. Storm Chaser Mage is interesting. Foil is apparently already over $15. That's pretty wild. You know, if Delver of Secrets is still only a $13-some-odd foil, I'm not wild to be hopping in on Storm Chaser Mage at this point. What I did find interesting was how many Jory and Ruin Divers I was seeing. You know, they weren't seeing play as play sets, but I've seen them popping up here in this event, and I've also seen them in people's lists online. Uh, I'll be curious to see if Jory N pans out. I wasn't crazy on her at first release, but it seems like people who know more about those types of archetypes are taking notice. And foils are clocking, in. I'm seeing a few hop in around four dollars. Uh, more in the round in the five to six range. Uh, foils of Jory N, I think, will be curious to watch. You know, if we see them really get down in the three ish dollar range, uh, I could definitely see that being a pickup because this may grow in. Maybe, maybe standard, possibly even modern, too? I'm not sure. But uh, a creature that essentially lets you draw a card uh, every turn. Foils at three bucks seems interesting to me.
0: I think the card in that list that's got me most excited, though, is Stormchaser Mage and its potential for modern. I mean, there's a if there's a Delver deck, maybe that Delver deck is four Delver, four Goblin Guide, four Monastery Swift Spear, four Stormchaser Mage, and a whole bunch of Cantrips. Um uh, like Slip Through Time and uh, Expedite, you know, two new cards from Oath of the Gate, that both that both cost one, and uh, Cantrip while providing relevant uh, battlefield effects. Um, you know, in, in keeping with, you know, coordination with things like Young Pyromancer, um, Serum Visions, uh, Gataxian Probe, uh teamer battle rage or some builds in the Grixis mold with um Tasiger and Gurmag Angler at the high end of the curve, maybe there's some kind of, you know, uh fetch delve aggro variant that's going to come to the forefront in modern and it's a question as to whether or not Storm Chaser Mage will be good enough to be part of that package.
1: Maybe it's my own personal distaste for blue red decks of this nature that have me less interested in Storm Chaser Mage than you. Uh, but no
0: I'm interested in the future of the card. I don't think I'm interested in, uh, in acquiring any at a fifteen dollar price point for a in print foil uncommon. Um, but I might change my mind if I see <laughs> a particularly good string of results. Um, so the only other thing I noticed in this set of lists um, was the eighth place abzan Blue deck was running three Gideon Ally of Zendikar, which means we can't count that mythic out yet um, for a potential spike. Uh, he seems uh, resilient. Um, to um, other mythics um, taking over the format um, and I suspect that we're going to see other versions. I was I was testing uh, a crazy uh, standard deck this morning that was running uh, 4 Gideon, 4 Oath of Nisa 3 Oath of Gideon um, 3 Nisa uh, from Oath um, a couple of Sorins and 2 Chandra flame collars at the top end and the deck was surprisingly powerful. Um, if it if it's not challenged by an aggro deck in the first four turns, it tends to set up shop, block pretty much anything you throw at it, um, and probably only really has to worry about something like Rally um, and its potential to combo off. So I, I'm very suspicious that there we may end up seeing a four or five color um, Super Friends style all Planeswalker build in Standard this season, which would be pretty fun and lead to some very expensive uh, Planeswalkers.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think to see what happens after Cons uh, and Fate Reforged rotate. Uh, if you know Gideon is at such a high power level now, when we chop off that entire chunk of the format, if he will really cement himself, uh, you know, we could see we could see him at forty dollars after after rotation. Wouldn't be surprised. All right, we're going to move on to our last segment of the week. Uh, our topic of the week uh, this week it is whether or not magic is too expensive. Uh, I know this topic has been whipping around on Twitter and Facebook and all forms of social media lately. Uh, So what do you think, James? Is magic too expensive?
0: Well, uh, I think that magic can be too expensive if you are not setting your personal... um, Uh, budget limits effectively if you're not managing your time and expenditure um, uh, properly if you're trying to do everything at once and have every deck available to you then yes um, magic can be very expensive but in terms of whether it's getting more expensive as a hobby i would argue that certain formats um, are experiencing um, ebbs and flows of pricing and both standard and modern have certainly gotten more expensive in the last four months Um, but that one of the beautiful parts about magic is that we have many different formats, um, and, you know, several of those formats, including, uh, commander, popper, um, you know, casual kitchen table magic all lead to, you know, magic being uh, a fairly cheap hobby. Um, what do you think, Travis? I I think
1: I could talk about this for an hour. Uh, I'm going to avoid that, and I'm going to try and focus on the question specifically so that this does not take all night. Is magic too expensive? Well, what does what does being too expensive mean? Too expensive would imply that it's too expensive for the health of the game, too expensive for people to play. Uh, neither of those are true. It's not too expensive for people to play. There's uh, a million ways to get into the game. Uh, when we talk about how expensive magic is, we're talking about the cost at the absolute highest competitive level. We're not talking about people that just want to play for fun. There's so much magic out there that is not extraordinarily expensive. And, uh, you know, maybe this is going to sound skewed because the people that could be listening to this are going to say, yeah, but that's not the magic people want to play. But you have to remember, that's not the magic we want to play. We are not the majority of Magic's uh, consumer base. We are, and by we, I mean not only James and I, but you who's listening to this, we are invested in this much more than most people are. Uh, Not everyone feels compelled to play highly competitive Magic. They do not need Gideon's and uh, all that type of stuff to get into Standard. They're just happy to be playing Magic of some sort. Uh, Just like many of us were with our casual decks it wouldn't before we even knew what formats were so too expensive for people to enjoy. No, too expensive to be competitive, play uh, standard or modern. No, too expensive to build gauntlet decks. Sure. Maybe like James said, uh, and as, is it too expensive for the health of the game? No, not at all. Uh, in fact, the price changes, the way prices have been behaving would imply that the game is, is quite healthy uh, if the game was dying, the secondary market would be collapsing. So, you know, we could argue all day about the cost of magic versus the cost of many other hobbies. But when you consider the simple question of magic being too expensive, I'm not sure what metric you could use to define too expensive, like what, that, what too expensive would look like, where that would hold water. I, I, just, I don't see it as being too expensive. It can be pricey. But too expensive? No. No, I don't think so at
0: all. And I, I like your point uh, about um, uh, the fact that people can choose their their entry point. They can choose the formats that they want to participate in, and they can choose to what extent they want to be prepared for those formats. Um, there's also the, the fact that um, Wizards, if you're talking about modern being too expensive, um, could they have printed more of Modern Masters 2013 and 2015? Yeah, s- certainly they could have. Um, but it's important to understand that, that wizards in an era where, um, they are facing flat lining or very low single digit percentage player growth there, it's perfectly natural that as a business, they've been moving, uh, into position to get, um, players to spend more money per person. So, I mean, if you want to, you know, point a finger at, at who's orchestrating, um, Standard and modern being more expensive. You have to look at the decisions that wizards made, not at the guys like us who are, you know, buying a couple dozen copies of a card here and there. The, you know, the reality is that they went from a 24 month to an 18 month standard format. uh, That is likely to make standard more expensive because you have to um, buy in on cards more frequently to have a deck that's fully functional. Um, Your deck is going to be obsolete more often when you're rotating um, uh, a third as often. Um, They've also done a couple of things that were aimed at making standard less expensive. They they introduced expeditions, which because of the value of those cards, as you know, lottery scratch tickets essentially being included in random booster packs, um, that has the impact of making the value of the mythics and rares on average less. It, it should make standard more less expensive in general when you include when you pull that tool out of your tool belt. And, and that's because that while a set is in print, if the value of all of the cards that could, the, you know, the expected value of a box of cards once opened exceeds uh, a certain amount, the vendors are going to be motivated to just keep opening product until demand and supply come back into harmony. And and as a result, um, I think that in, in a world where fetch lands didn't uh, sorry, Battlelands didn't make Fetchlands essential as 12 to 16, inc- you know, copy includes in standard decks last fall. Um, you know, we might have seen expeditions push the price of standard down. Now, instead, because of that design design decision with the Battlelands and the Fetchland interaction and a multicolored format, we ended up in a, in a very expensive standard. Um, but as far as Modern goes, you know, the at the release of uh, Modern Masters 2015 last summer, there was definitely some very attractive entry points on a lot of the cards that spiked recently. And, you know, you have to ask, you know, you know, if you're involved in Modern and you've been involved for a while, why didn't you make the move when they, they you know, put the set out that you were supposed to be jumping on top of?
1: This whole topic to me just feels like a case of uh, mislabeled. Mis, uh, of, of mismanaged expectations, maybe. It's just people, there seems to be an expectation that magic is supposed to be extremely accessible, like competitive high level tier one magic is supposed to be accessible uh, and not only accessible, but very accessible. I'm not, I'm not sure where that expectation comes from. Maybe it's more of a desire than an expectation, but managing expectations is such a major component of successfully running any sort of project or business. So perhaps it falls on wizards for not, not handling that. And perhaps it's some level of entitlement that seems to be uh, so prevalent in parts of our generation at this point. Uh, But, you know, it's just I I don't know where this idea comes from that a luxury hobby needs to be extremely affordable. It just it seems seems to miss like, like the fundamental level. Like, why should this should this collectible card game that's supposed to hold its value over time so that you're willing to be a part of it and to develop an emotional bond with the cards? Why should that be dirt cheap? then it's not something that you develop an emotional level to. We don't fall in love with things and we don't develop emotional bonds with cheap things. We love expensive things. Uh, we love things that spending a lot of money on something uh, means that you're spending a lot of your time on something because it, money's time and you put in the time to earn that money. So when you buy that thing that's expensive, you are making an emotional commitment to it. So if the game is dirt cheap, you don't care about it. And if the cards have value and they last, it means you care about it. And that's where we get these. I mean, that's why we're all here talking about this. It's why James and I are taking two hours on a Wednesday night to talk about this because we care about it. And we care about it because we put our time into it, which is putting our money into it. So I I just, the whole idea that it should be extremely cheap and accessible, it just sort of misses the mark for me.
0: Well, I mean, I think you've hit on a really important point there, which is, that you know, your... um... Uh, intrinsic understanding of the brand building value of having some cards be inaccessible, I think that people miss on a regular basis that part of the reason magic has survived as long as it has is the you know is that part of this game is gambling you know whether whether wizards would ever want us to say that and they don't um, or not it it 's still the truth when you have um, uh, booster packs as black boxes. Um, of unknown product with unexpected value, but the potential to open an expedition, the potential to open a tarmogoyf, the potential to open a foil Jace the Mind Sculptor. Um, you're setting up a scenario that's going to have an economy that's going to have um, you know highs and lows on on the prices of various products, and you're you're setting up a situation where. Um, People get excited about participating in the hobby because of the potential for gains. Even if they they never opened an expedition, they still ran out and bought uh, a bunch of Battle for Zendikar in the hope that they'd be one of the lucky people that gets to post on social media the picture of their pull. And you know that's a large driving factor in the community. So does does an expense uh, does mo- if if the average uh card in modern rises by 25 percent. does that push some people out of that format i think the answer is yes and i think we can all agree that um there's room to print additional staples for modern more frequently to help control the overall uh price of that format but it's also important to understand that wizards is most interested in pushing standard not modern remember they tried to get rid of the modern pro tour and it was only the outcry of the community that brought it back um And they did that driving standard as the key format for the hobby means that they drive sales of the sets that are currently in print, which are the ones that make them the money. Um, when we're talking about cards from 10 years ago Wizards isn't making any money on those cards anymore at all. They're you know that's money that's being made in the secondary market by vendors and speculators and players. So that doesn't help with the the bottom line, the profit and revenue results at Wizards of the Coast vis-a-vis Hasbro and you know you want those numbers to stay healthy so that they keep investing in the game. So I mean it's a, it's a fine line to walk, but I think the, the most important point walk away point with is magic too expensive? Remember that 99% of the cards printed in magic, and we're talking about tens of thousands of cards that are capable of building literally millions of different deck combinations are less than 25 cents. The the vast majority of magic cards are total and utter bulk and are still totally fun to shuffle up and and play at the kitchen table. And if you want to play magic cheaply and have a great time, build a play group of your own. Don't worry about the DCI and, you know, just, you know, throw down huge dragons on your kitchen table while you're while you're chugging back a beer
1: yeah i mean those are all excellent points james they really are i I wish that we could sit here and chat about this and echo chamber echo chamber each other for another hour uh it's getting late i i should go to bed uh and i don't want to get myself all riled up before i go before i go lay down so uh james where can our listeners find you
0: you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com.
1: And I, again, am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B U uh, M P I N. I'm also a premium writer over MTGPrice every Wednesday and editor. That brings us to the end of our second episode of MTG Fast Finance. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Thanks for chatting with me today, James.
0: Thank you, Travis. We'll see you again next week.